in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Is that what we get after Golden Knights lost? Is that what happens there? I mean, I think that would be... If if we could get Pete DeBoer just to say all oh, these mother bleeping editorials. Yeah. Like, I don't think Pete would do that. No. He's only been prickly a few times here. He's actually been very, very good with the media, so I don't think he's going to well, do that. He doesn't have to say anything. I also don't think he has any idea who any of the media are. I don't think he knows any of us. He says our name to be very, very nice. Like, Pete says, hey, Ed, hey, Willie, hey, hey. Ben, hey, Dave. I don't think he has any idea who any of us are. One of my favorite ones was uh, our very own Chris Chapman from Fox Sports Las Vegas asked a question about, like, hey, and the other, they were talking, there was words about Ryan Reeves and the other, uh, in the other media availability. The other Zoom? Any, yeah, the other Zoom is, do you have anything to say? No. <laughs> like, just like, that was like, all right. Yeah, you know when you've asked a question he doesn't like because he very rarely is a one-word guy. He he'll say he'll say a lot, Pete. But again, I no, you, don't think he has any idea who anyone is. This you get this pretty quick. Next Hockey, question. Yes, hockey players. I'm telling you, no, no, nothing against them is probably healthier this way. I don't think they have any clue who anyone is. I now, mean, being in the Zoom lends to that, but I'm telling you, I don't think they have any idea. I think they just hear names and talk. And I don't think they have any clue who anybody's. And the problem with that is media believes they do, and they don't. You well, want to say they don't know any of us. That's the that's part of the reason why this sound is so good when the hockey player. Doesn't matter what I say, Mike. You're gonna write fucking every time. So it doesn't matter what you say. Is that a Canadian? Is that a Canadian team? I uh, because if I, that's I a, I'll tell you up. what. Canadian teams probably would know their local media. They they are so entrenched. You know, obviously Canada with hockey. So entrenched, but like the Golden Knights, I've had talks with uh, PR people that are uh, close friends of mine uh, that are around that team. I don't think they have a clue, which again is probably healthier for them and is probably the right way to roll with things. But it's actually funny when they say the names. It was a Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, well, it's Philly media though. It's Philly media. Yeah. You're going to know those guys. Well, it's sort of like, you know, if you're interviewing uh, McKinnon after a game and you just tell him, well, why don't you just not think about it? Just say bleep it. Yeah, that was crazy. Speaking of hockey, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, down. We talked, Way to get uh, us back on yes, track. Well, buddy. there's that transition. 2-1 to the Islanders yesterday. John Cooper, our work ethic was there. Our compete level was there. Our minds weren't there. You, uh, you're very excited. You're, we're both Barry Trotz fans. I, I, because he wants me to drink a lot of water, but you, because of what he does defensively when he comes to the organizations. I don't know who the best coach in the NHL is. I just know this dude goes places and wins a lot. Well, he, and he also goes places that you're like, I guess they're an okay team. And then all of a sudden, oh, okay. Nope. They're, they're immediately good. Okay. Um, weird. Weird that, that someone else didn't think of doing what he's yeah. doing. question this morning wow. comes from sorry um i got you thank you sorry sorry <laughs> garrick higo the former unlv golfer uh won his first uh tour event the palmetto championship uh for his first pga tour victory it's amazing i played stayed patient all week 22 year old uh won uh taking the tournament after leader 
Chesson Hadley squandered a two-shot lead with bogeys in the final three shots. Uh, good for him. I believe it's his first uh, PJ start. Uh, he was, I believe it was at UNLV 17 and 18, and then he turned pro during his sophomore season. So, uh, again, Dwayne Knight out there, best coach on campus. Uh, the men's golf program, he continues to uh, turn out these pros and guys who win on the tour. And Garrett Kigo, it was cool yesterday watching this kid come from behind and win this thing. Uh, lefty, closing three under 68, his fourth round in the 60s this week. Had an eagle in the par, uh, par 5 12th and a birdie in the 14th to reach 11 under the winning score. So Garrett Kigo, congratulations. The former Rebel takes the uh, Palmetto Challenge. It's it's insane that what is UNLV known for? Oh, we won a national. They won a national. I'm a UNLV alumnus. Uh, they won a national championship for basketball in the 90s. What have they kind of been known since in the 2000s? Golf, Golf and the dance team. Yeah. Like all. No, like, you're right. Yeah. Like we have a bunch of guys on the PGA Tour and they win national championships in dance. Self-sufficient in golf. Dwayne Knight's done an incredible job with the the foundation and, and being self-sufficient. Um, and he's just a terrific coach. Terrific coach every year. They're competitive. Um, NCAA regionals. And now you get these kids. I, man, I saw the number. I can't believe I don't remember. But the number staggering for Dwayne Knight's players who have won on the tour. I'll remember the number here shortly. And I'll give it back to you. But it was like I read that. I'm like, Man, and look, I mean, you know, Oklahoma State, there's some great, great golf programs out there. But for a non-Power 5 like UNLV to have done what he's done in golf is just amazing. I'm sorry, because, again, people don't realize Power 5 programs now with football, you know, football powers, all that money trickles down. And I can only assume some of the golf facilities and some of the golfing things that some of these schools are amazing when you go on trips. And Dwayne Knight keeps getting good golfers and keeps producing them. I don't care about him. Next question. So this was really scary. We're going to play some audio here in Denmark's Christian Eriksson uh, during a, um, a soccer match yesterday. Uh, well, let's play the uh, let's play the tape, and then we'll tell you what happened. Uh, play is going to be halted again, and this does look serious. Well, Christian Eriksson in some distress by the look of things. Well, plays new straight away. That was a heavy fall. Well, you can tell immediately, can't you, from players body language so it's a pause here challenge seemed pretty innocuous didn't it but that's that's not a good look at all now that is very disturbing to look at i must say and it's all gone quiet for understandable reasons in copenhagen uefa i can tell you has just announced that this match has been suspended due to the medical emergency that we've all been taking in. That is hot off the press. Christian Eriksen, 29, collapsed on the pitch during Denmark's Euro 2020 opener against Finland. Uh, how about this? This was the real. This was very scary. The team doctor Morton Bosin said afterwards he was gone until yeah. we resuscitated him. He had expired. He was gone, and we did cardiac resuscitation. It was cardiac arrest. How close we were to losing him, I really don't know. We got him back after one defibrillator, so that's quite fast. I'm not a cardiologist, so the details I will leave to the experts. Um, game halted in the 43rd minute. That was scary. It hit Twitter right away with people saying, whoa. I mean, it was like he just collapsed, and thank goodness they got him back. Yeah, that was. that's one of those where, like, I'm Mr. Jokey Joke. That, that was just genuinely like... No, that I was... I think I may have just seen a dead body. Yep. 
Like he fell like a like, 29 on a soccer pitch at the at the level of conditioning. And again, it just tells you everyone says, oh, they're in great condition. That doesn't always play factors into if someone suffers cardiac arrest. There's a lot more well, that goes into that. I mean, it's sort of it's also it, it reminds me basically of Chris Bosch, because the reason he had to retire from basketball was not because of anything other than his body started forming blood clots. Right. He was in right. incredible shape, mm-hmm. but his body would form blood clots. And if one of those blood clots broke off somewhere, we would have seen yeah, it. would not he, have been he, good. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been catastrophic. That's crafty wording right there. I get <laughs> really wish I hadn't played that <laughs> right afterwards. <laughs> French Open organizers defended their pragmatic approach and their dealings with four-time major champion uh, Naomi Osaka during the tournament saying Sunday they tried to engage with her several times before she decided to withdraw because uh, she needed a mental health break. We did it the right way, French Tennis Federation President Gillis Morton and said. So apparently now that she she only she was fined fifteen thousand, they could have find find her twenty thousand. We understand the story. She said when she gets in front of media, um, she becomes very anxious. She has mental health uh, issues and she wanted to take a mental health break. Apparently, all the Grand Slam tournaments have come together and all believe that the French Open did the right thing here. And I want to ask you because we talked about this when it happened and. Obviously, uh, mental health is a, a serious, re- realistic issue with a lot of people in this country, you know, beyond just professional athletes. But they're all kind of getting together and saying, look, we're going to try to work with this. We're going to try to be better here. But at some point, we have to have athletes talking to media at Grand Slam events. And it's almost like a really slippery slope that they're balancing on this line of what to do next. Because I, I'm not suggesting in any way, but I'm going to, you know, the cynical part will come out here that other athletes will say this. Now, wait a minute. She's not to have to do this. I don't really like the media. Why do I have to do this? I mean, you know, I I guarantee if they say, well, media's off now and you can choose whether to go, you're telling me if some ranked player loses in the first round, he or she's going to want to go talk to the media? It's a really, I, I, I understand it's a tough situation. It's not black and white. I get that. But I guess all four tournaments have come together, all four majors say, look, this is the pragmatic approach that we have to have athletes talk to the media, and if they want to not talk, then there has to be a fine assessed. Well, so there's, as the resident mentally ill person on the show, um, which isn't, that's not a joke, that's that's just the truth. The part of it that I was thinking was, well, why wouldn't you create some sort of, like, you want, if you want to work with the person, you create, like, some sort of, like, alternate, alternate media availability. Like, okay, you don't want to do the post-game presser, the pre-game presser. That's fine. Tell us which journalist you're comfortable with and do a one-on-one sit-down with them, and we'll air it before the the match. Yeah, and you could also have, like, I mean, media wouldn't love it. You, I get and that. And you can talk about these issues. You can talk about Well, you can talk about them, and you could also have, you know, at many events, I've been in this myself, at like Final Fours, you can have a pool reporter. So if there's a controversial call, I've had to actually had to do this. You are escorted to the officials' locker room, and you are literally there representing all the media because your quotes coming back is getting on a piece of paper and distributed. Everyone's getting the same quotes. Yeah. I guess you could do it in a situation there where, you know, people can give you questions to answer because you know if I'm covering her and I need a specific question asked, I'm going to say, hey, whoever the pool reporter is, in that sense, you need to ask her this, so it's not just all of your questions. I guess that could work. I don't know if all the media members would love it, but at least you're getting something rather than nothing. Well, and you're at least taking what she's saying, like with a like, all right, well, you don't want to do it today. I understand that. Is there a way that we can find some sort of middle ground where we still get we 
we still get the access that we want, but you can do it in a way that you're comfortable, that you're not feeling this anxiety. Because the, the biggest thing with, like, I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack. Or you've ever, like, yeah. yeah. It's, you You think the, the, the sky is yes. trying to crush you with gravity. Crown, to, yeah, yeah, on top and of so, you. That idea of, okay, and now there's a bunch of people staring at you while yeah. that's happening. Well, is... and in a Grand Slam, I've been in those I've been in those situations. You're talking hundred, hundreds of me. A Grand Slam yeah. is like going to the Masters. You're in a room with like a ton of people or a Final Four, these huge events. You're not staring at one person. And, I mean, there are a ton of people in those rooms. And compound that with you're probably like you're probably having to hear through like six different translations. And so it's it's the, the level of stress there to me is like. I like I'm my, my heart rate's going up just talking no. about it. I know. What do you think? Okay, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority is looking toward possible arbitration to settle a dispute over naming rights with Las Vegas Ballpark. I want to ask you this. In 2017, LBCVA signed a 20-year, $80 million naming rights deal. I'm reading from Mick Akers of Review Journal for the ballpark that allows Las Vegas to be included. Contract states there must be a minimum of 100 events held each year. At the ballpark, those events include aviators, minor league baseball games, concerts, shows, and exhibitions. However, because of the pandemic, the stadium was shut down for over a year, and the 100 events threshold wasn't met in 2020. The LBCVA claims the authority is now looking for a credit tied to the number of events not held at the ballpark which is owned by howard hughes okay so they're saying obviously simplistic supposed to be 100 events pandemic hit i'm throwing out a number there 80 i don't i have no idea how many events were there maybe there were 10 i have absolutely no clue uh they want arbitration because they want a credit back according to steve hill lbcva ceo contract was signed previously is certainly not well worded uh, so there's a difference of opinion on how the resolution of that time period, calendar year 2020, should be dealt with. They want an arbitrator to come in and solve it. What's your? I mean, I get letter of the law. I understand that it's a pandemic. Isn't there a way to contractually get something back without credit? Or do you think they're in every right to get money back? It's like, look, this is the deal. It was 100 events. We know there was a worldwide pandemic, but there were only 40 events. And we paid you a lot of money. Like I said, um, was $80 million over 20 years. We're going to get some of that back. That's one of the... And you people forget that that's literally one of the largest naming rights deals in the United States. That is a massive naming rights deal. $80 million. Over 20 years. I get, Look, I get... Again, I... I can see if I'm an arbitrator, I and that's what arbitrators obviously do. They see both sides and they make a ruling. If I'm that person to begin with, I see both sides. I see one side saying, here's the contract. We didn't get our 100 events. And I see the other side saying, uh, there was a pandemic. We're sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, the world shut we, down. We apologize that the world shut down. I just don't. I think it doesn't. Put it this way. I don't think it has to be contentious. Like, I hope it doesn't roll into some contentious battle because I think everyone agrees that they love the ballpark. It was a good. It was definitely a good. Oh, it was moved by the LBCVA to have Las year. Vegas name in there. Um, but it will be interesting to see where an arbitrator go. My gut feeling is the arbitrator will look at the contract and say, "You contractually obligated here." I and seeing what I was thinking is you come to some sort of like you offer a compromise of all right, let's prorate it. In year sixteen, we'll give you. Like you'll you'll get the thing for one dollar or something. Like right, you're right, right, right. So you make the money back that way. Yeah, but it's you put it so far you you backload it just like every other contract in the history of the world. You backload it. Um, I would love to get Sam and Ash on this tomorrow and ask we them will basically Wednesday. 
Yeah, like Wednesday. We'll Wednesday, ask them. Yes. Yeah, we'll uh, ask sorry. them about this. Uh, yeah, that's good. Good question. Like, just be like, I know we've asked them before. What is an act of God in a contract? Because right. this is is a pandemic an act right. of God? Because does that void this year? I so. think a lot. I think a lot of people heard that term, act of God. A lot over the last year and a half when it comes to these sporting events oh. and what can be done what not can be done you know natural disasters whatever it is and the it, pandemic obviously qualified as one of those there's an entirely probably new graduating class of lawyers that are just like understand I've, had, uh, I've had to take so many classes on, on <laughs> like contracts and Act of god 101 <laughs> when we come back <laughs> mandatory opens for the raiders we'll talk a little football now sprints about court to the right side gives it to jackie jackie looks for a three instead gives it to asia handoff back to jackie plum's gonna try a three kelsey, kelsey, bucket. kelsey plum for a triple for three. so she ties it up at 41 so here we go you're sitting in the press box with graney and bischoff on espn las vegas follow them on twitter at ed graney and bischoff underscore tyler Ryan Wallace, the birthday boy, at 8.30. Talked some VGK, the Jameson, at 9 o'clock with some NBA and Charles McDonald, some NFL at 9.30, and at 9.45, Jared will make fun of the Dodgers. But Raiders, open mandatory minicamp tomorrow, uh, very early in the morning. It's going to be like 160 degrees, so Johnny Gruden says, let's go early in the morning because we don't want to be at 160 degrees. Everyone expected in attendance, yes, Josh Jacobs, Yannick Nagakwe, and Quentin Jefferson, who we didn't see at uh, the the, – Voluntaries will all be out there, reportedly. All right, here we go. You're Mr. Football Guy, so I want to ask you. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor had a nice story in the Review Journal about Kenyon Drake. Uh, we know Kenyon Drake got two years over for $11 million, And the point of the story was, uh, can Kenyon Drake make a huge difference in the red zone? We know the Raiders were 23rd in a 32-team league in red zone efficiency, touchdown efficiency. Last year, 54%. Pro Football Focus ranked them 26th in run blocking and 17th in pass blocking. Meanwhile, the 4.2 yards reading from Vinny's story on run attempts was 23rd. So let's go to Kenyon Drake and his skill set and what you think with the Wallers, the Jacobs, the um, fast tight, fast wide receiver you know I love, the Rugs, mm-hmm. Brian Edwards. And by the way, Brian Edwards has to take a step up because that's the one thing we heard about Brian Edwards was, you know, he's this tall he's receiver. ripping the yeah, ball out exactly. of the Exactly, and, you know, you, you put him in the red zone, you just throw it up for him, and, you know, he'll just out-jump people, so he needs to do a little more of that or at all. Uh, what do you think about Kenyon Drake? Everyone said two years, $11 million. That's a lot of money for a guy who essentially, I guess, is the joker, uh, and you can line up a lot of plays. John Gruden likes to call these the four-point plays, so he doesn't have to kick a field goal. Like, you gotta, you got to score touchdowns in these situations. Is he the answer? The biggest thing that I'm worried about with Kenyon Drake is does he get bumped off the line? Like you 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 split him out and does he immediately because the biggest thing with the red zone is everything's condensed. It's your offense may r- r- run great between the 20s, but once you're in the 20s They were good between the 20s actually. Yeah. <laughs> They're very but, good between the 20s. But once you get in the red zone, everything gets condensed. And if he gets bumped off his route almost immediately, you know Derek Carr's not going to hold on to the ball. So the, any extra movement on that timing means he becomes a non-factor in whatever play that they're running. They also can't. They also seem to have issues. Just, I mean, to to put. I mean, to use your words, shove it in. Like they they also they line up in the I formation. You're one of the few teams that carry a fullback on the roster. Yeah, Alec Engel. You, you've got Josh Jacobs. 
try to shove it up the middle. They don't really do that either, and I don't see Kenyon Drake being this explosive, uh, like he's going to take the middle linebacker into the end zone with him. So if the Joker isn't going to do that for two years for $11 million, where do you see the Joker fitting? And look, we're... We like it, to make we like to have fun with the Joker, but essentially, if that's what you want to call the position, you I mean, you know, uh, had Len Bowden for for like two seconds, and now you have Kenyon Drake for. I mean, that's and it's John Gruden's not the only coach in the NFL to call someone a Joker or to call a position of a versatility that. Um, but if he's not producing in the red zone, and I, obviously they think he is, um, according to Vinny's story, that's one thing they the want one, him to do. What if he doesn't though? The one thing that I will say is maybe he'll open things up for Waller. Be are in turn if he, if they have to bring a corner or a DB over to cover Waller, that may open him up and put him on a linebacker, and that that, that could be beneficial some, though because he can beat a linebacker. A, yes, and that at least with his with his footwork and the one thing we know about Derek Carr is he's either going to throw it way over your head or he's going to throw it into the ground, which is a pretty good thing. It right. means you're not going to get a lot of turnovers unless he you know tries to take it in. Himself. Well, you don't want him fumbling on the goal line. Yes, That's never happened. But the biggest thing is that at least with play action, you may get some sort of like movement, and then you have him run maybe a, a corner route or just like out into the flat. That may pull some coverage away and open up guys like Edwards, Ruggs, and right. Waller. But until we see it, I have no idea why this offense doesn't function better when we have, like, was it Foster Moreau? The first yeah. year that was just like, well, he's just bigger than everybody. So basically, you just throw a jump. Like he literally would just run a uh, out route, and you just kind of flick it to him, and he's taller than everyone. Kenyon Drake's a prove it guy. Two years, eleven million. He has to prove it. Um, I mean, good contract for him. Look, I'd like to be and, his agent. He's got a good agent to get two years for eleven million from the Raiders, uh, given some of their cap issues, but. If he can produce in the red zone, if he can give Jacobs a break uh, now and then. Josh Jacobs, I'll be interested to see him. Again, we said this last week. Everyone went crazy because Josh Jacobs missed voluntary. For all we know, the guy was at the facility. Tyler and I said that last week. We, we don't know where these guys are. That's why I never have a problem with voluntary. That's the word voluntary. That's what that means. And if a guy wants treatment or you know he doesn't want to be out in 120 degrees, whatever. I, I hate this nonsense about you got to be there for the team. Then, you know what? If he doesn't show up tomorrow, then you have issues and you say, where is Josh Jacobs? But I have every belief when we're out I mean, there tomorrow at 7, you know, very, very early in the morning, he's going to be out there and, and Ngakwe is going to be out there and, and all of, everyone will be in attendance and then everyone can calm down or take a breath that Josh Jacobs, you know, isn't, you know, something's wrong with him. One of my biggest things that I hate is when people are like, they question a player's commitment and we have evidence to the contrary. The man was shot up with so much Toradol, he <laughs> couldn't feel his shoulder yeah. and he had t a torn yeah. shoulder and he played through that. Well, that's yeah. What level of commitment do you want from? Well, and what in the world involuntary is Josh Jacobs going to do that he hasn't already done? What I mean, he knows We're, the offense. He's fine. He's a starting running back. And like we said, there's every chance he was in some training room in the facility. We just didn't see him as media. And you put out there that he's not there, and, along with Ngakwe. Well, I thought Ngakwe was supposed to be the leader of the defense. Eh, pump the brakes. He'll be there tomorrow. I mean, I, I, last week I was just laughing that the 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 the. the um, have we allowed? kind of the questions on Twitter and you know everyone out there with their own theories of what's going on? No, that's why they call them voluntary. Would it be nice to be there? I guess, but if if you're telling me a guy is taking care of his body because he had, like you said, so many issues last year, I'd be like, yeah, take care of your body because this really doesn't mean anything in June. It's it's also one of those things where 
he, you said it perfectly. He knows the offense. These, yeah, what these, do they, what the they teach Josh Jacobs? The voluntary workouts are for guys that are like Andre James that are like, right. hey, you're the new center. What? Yes. You need to learn how to call out protections. Yes. That's and who voluntaries are for. You need to figure out how to snap the ball the way Derek Carr likes it. Right. You're exactly right. That's a pretty key position right now on that team, replacing arguably the best center in the league. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. Happy birthday, Ryan Wallace. We'll be back with some VGK. <laughs> He his pants. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. It's his birthday, we believe, unless Jared completely screwed that up. And if he did, well... He gets two birthdays this year. Ryan, is it happy birthday out at the farm? Um, yeah, this is technically my birthday. You're correct. <laughs> technically, I don't know what that means, but Jared believed he looked up the right date. Uh, it's always 50-50 if that's true. So if so, uh, we wish you a very happy one uh, and that Jared didn't mess that up. I once told Jake Bischoff that it, when his birthday was, and he said that is not correct. <laughs> so. That's not surprising to me, but you got this one right, Jared. It, it is indeed my birthday. Good job. Pre and post on Fox Sports LV, VGK Insider Show. It's Ryan Wallace. Okay, here we go. Game one. Puck drops at six uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. So, your overall theme, we've heard, we just keep hearing this. Well, they're Minnesota. Well, they don't have uh, Kaprizov. Well, they don't have McKinnon. But they're really good defensively, and Price is playing out of his mind. Is that somewhat of a nice uh, explanation there, or are there other things deeper in your mind that are going to play off in this series to see who wins? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of it all it all begins and ends with goaltending for the Montreal Canadiens. Like, if Carey Price is, is Carey Price, and, and he, if he plays to the way that he's played this postseason, it's going to be a very difficult and, and long series. But the the fact of the matter is, like, I think they're closer to Minnesota than they are to Colorado. They're a deep team. They are able to kind of put players on every line that can find offense, can find ways to put the puck in the back of the net. And you've got to be committed to play a, a full 60-minute game. You've got to be committed to, to roll four lines, and you've got to be committed to playing the right way against the Montreal Canadiens, and that's how you win a series. How big of a X factor will Nick Suzuki be? Well, I mean, Nick Suzuki to me isn't so much an X factor as he's part of the expectation in terms of goal scoring for the Montreal Canadiens. He's got eight points in the playoffs so far, four goals, four assists. He's been really, really good, and he's relied upon now to be kind of that that first tier of offensive production. So for me, it's not Suzuki being an X factor. It's can Suzuki do what's expected of him now, and that is be a contributor, be a a goal scorer, be somebody that you can count on the deeper and deeper you go into the playoffs. I, I think he can be. He's been very, very good all year, and especially in these playoffs. So I, I think that he's going to be uh, incredibly vital to the Canadians' chances of winning these this series. The expect factor. Yes, the expect factor, 100%. Uh, we had Chris Johnson from uh, Insider and Hockey Night in Canada on earlier. He made a good point I want to ask you about, or uh, if you agree or not, that obviously this is a team that wants to play from ahead because their defense, they just shut it down, and they can't chase very well because obviously they don't have the offensive power, firepower. Compare them then 
to the wild because that was what said about them. Hey, if they get a lead, you might be in trouble here, especially if you start gripping the sticks and they're ahead by one or two. Is that the formula for Montreal to win the series? Yeah, I mean, I think that first goal matters more to the Montreal Canadiens than it does to maybe the Vegas Golden Knights because you look at Vegas, they've certainly got the horses to come back in a game. Uh, you look at all four of their wins in in this series against the Colorado Avalanche, at some point in the game, the Golden Knights trailed, and, and they are comfortable in that position. But when it comes to Montreal, like they, they've got to have a lead. They've got to play with a lead. It, it really allows them to kind of fall back into their structure and make it incredibly difficult for teams to get really good quality scoring chances the rest of the game. So um, if I'm the Canadians, I'm looking for one or two as early in the game as possible, and then you just try to shut it down from there. And I don't think that that's really uh, something that's going to phase the Golden Knights. Even if Montreal does score first, I think the Golden Knights believe they can come back in any game against any team. So the Avalanche said that T-Mobile actually did give them a little bit of energy what is the are they going to are, are the Canadians going to get hyped up in the first quarter just or in the first period just because this is the first time they've played in front of people in like 400 days or do you expect uh, them to just you know they're professionals Yeah I mean the the Canadians have played in front of about uh, 2500 fans and despite what what some may say, twenty five hundred is is not twenty five thousand. Um, oh, you saw the you saw the nut job on Twitter, then obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's like my favorite video on Twitter. Those, right those, now. Uh... Like if if you ever like if you want to send me birthday love, continue <laughs> to send me that meme. That's yeah. all you got to do. That was awesome. Um, no, but for real, like I think that it's going to be kind of a kind of a shock at least in the first five or ten minutes of that game. Like again, you're playing in front of. Uh, really limited crowd, and like I remember what it was like to be in the building when there was zero people there, and then about twenty five hundred, about five thousand, about eight thousand, ten thousand, and every subsequent jump was a jolt, right? So um, I expect Montreal to be energized by it, but I think it might take them aback uh, early on in the first period. So if you're the Golden Knights, you've got to capitalize on that. Then let me ask you this, because you're talking about, you know, it's easy to create your juice in, in an arena, what it's going to be like tonight for either team. I mean, it, it's going to amp yeah. you up. If they can steal a game here and go home 1-1, and now you're going in front of, I think, twenty five or 3,000, they might be increasing a lot, but it's not very much. They've been kind of in that bubble, not much atmosphere, you know, existence for a long time. It's over 460 days since a Canadian team's actually played in the States. Is that an advantage for them? Because I would think the Golden Knights going there after being T-Mobile the last few weeks, they'd have to create their own juice. And, and Montreal kind of knows what it's like. And if they could get one here, would you put advantage for them in that kind of situation? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's going to be in the same way that I think the first 10 minutes of this game is going to be a shock to mm-hmm. Montreal. It's, yeah. it's going to be very weird for the Golden Knights to go up to Canada and play in front of not very many fans. And, and I think that that's what makes this series so intriguing and so interesting in, in a way that the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning isn't, is that you've got such a dichotomy in what home ice advantage is going to look like, going to feel like, going to sound like, that this might be the first time we really get a clear indication of do teams get affected much by the crowd on the road versus at home. So, um, yeah, I think that the Canadians are more used to it, obviously, right now than the Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, there's something about less fans in the building that kind of allows you just to settle into your game, good or bad. Uh, 
And so in that case, like I'm always going to default to the team that I think has more talent on the roster, and that would be the Golden Knights. So we were looking for a metaphor this morning as to compare um, T-Mobile to what's going on in Canada. And what we came up with was if T-Mobile is Disneyland, Canada is going to be like you sitting in your own garage, but you're not allowed to go in your house. Is that, would that be, does that feel accurate? Um, no, because I, well, guess who came up with that metaphor? <laughs> not me. Um, so like, okay. So like if, if, if we're, if we're accepting that T-Mobile is Disneyland, then like, I don't know, maybe, maybe like Canada's the, the state fair, right? Like it's cool or whatever, but like, there's just not enough people to justify it being on the level of, of Disneyland. And it's not to say that the state fair can't get lit. It absolutely can. But right now it's just, it's, it's not allowed to be. So that's, that's maybe the better metaphor, but I don't know that there's a good metaphor in this situation. Finish this sentence. The golden Knights will lose this series. If Carrie price steals it. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. If Carrie price steals it, like, I think that the Golden Knights have shown throughout these playoffs that nothing is really phasing them when they believe in their in their game and their structure. I do look at this team very differently than the team that lost to Dallas in the bubble last year. I look at them very differently than even the team that went to the Stanley Cup final in year one. They're a, a battle-tested team that believes in what they're doing. And I think that they'll be able to score. I really do. I think they'll be able to find ways to to find offense when they need it most. And I think that they recognize this opportunity that's in front of them. This is a team that's really hungry to win and wants to not stop at 12 wins or 15 wins. They want to get all 16. So right now the Canadians are standing in front of them. And I think that you're going to get the best version of the Golden Knights because they've gotten better and better and better as the playoffs have worn on. So it's not your feeling that uh, it would be a repeat of Dallas, and we saw what happened to Dallas. They just went cold. I mean, they they just couldn't find that. I I agree with you after watching them play Colorado, and especially at home with the with the uh, uh, motivation they're getting from that home crowd. But we saw what happened with Dallas last year. It seems like you'd be shocked at that happening, where they just went cold, and no matter how good Price was, they just couldn't get it going. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's going to be a story of, you know, the Golden Knights um, couldn't find their offensive touch. It would literally be Carey Price is, is shutting everything down, and despite high-danger scoring chances, despite making him work, despite all of that, um, Carey Price is just on another level, and he absolutely steals the series. Um, it would feel very different than Dallas. It would feel very different than even that Vancouver series last year in the bubble, too. So while this segment will never be the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour, it ha- <laughs> this show has been the Barry Trotz Love Fest. Um, yeah. What are you th- like? What are your takes on the Islanders uh, Lightning series? Yeah, so like I've I've kind of gone back and forth and back and forth on this because um, there's there's a couple of things at play, right? Like if you're the Vegas Golden Knights and you're thinking about the Stanley Cup Final, who would you rather play? the best team in the league that's $20 million over the cap, or the coach who beat you in the Stanley Cup final the first year of your existence? Like, I'm not really sure there's a good answer to that question, but all I can tell you is the, the fans at Nassau Coliseum are white-hot all-game 
long. And I don't think that there would be a better final matchup than Vegas and the New York Islanders if for only the fan experience on both sides, it would be absolutely electric. And I also think that this this playoff is about the Golden Knights kind of um, going back and exercising demons. And I don't think that there's a better way to do that if you come full circle and have to beat Barry Trotz in the Stanley Cup final. How mad do you have to be if you're a Capitals fan? Um, I mean, like, you know, it kind of sucks. Like, but at the same time, like, how how mad do you have to be if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan? Like, Lou Lamarillo was the general manager for the Leafs. They made a decision to go to Kyle Dubas. And, and in that time that Lou has gone to the island and Kyle Dubas has manned the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Islanders have six playoff series wins and the Toronto Maple Leafs, last I checked, oh, they have zero. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, sour fan, fan bases when it comes to the Islanders. Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo. I just wanted to be Trout so I can remember to drink water every day because I love that kid with the hydrate, which makes absolutely, I guess it makes sense and not sense because he says it so much. But I also agree with you, it'd be a great series. And yet I'd like the Knights in that series. And I think you'd agree only because this is a better team than he beat. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. But, you know, with the Islanders, I think you're you're seeing it, especially after game one, that, I don't think they're intimidated by any team. Like, I don't think that they look at, at any any series as one that they can't win. They've got great structure. They are very, very deep. And Matt Barzell is an absolute stud. So anytime you can kind of combine all those three things, um, you have a chance. And, and you've got a coach that, that really knows how to break opponents down. Um, I'd be intrigued by that series, I think, the most. Uh, but I do, I do think the best hockey would be Vegas and Tampa in the final because I, I just think that both teams would sell out and it'd be the, the Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche all over again. Ryan Wallace at Ryan Hockey Guy on Twitter. You can listen to him on the VGK Insiders and pre-intermission and post. Ryan, where are you going to be? Do they got you out somewhere? Um, yeah, I'll be at T-Mobile Arena. I'll be uh, hanging out at really where TV used to do their pregame show. I've, I've kicked them out. I've taken over. Darren Millard is no longer going to be doing TV, so I'm going to steal his spot, and it's going to be fantastic. Oh, anytime you kick Millsy out, it's a good day. Anytime. I know, right? Oh, follow him on Twitter at Ryan Hockey. Guys, it's his birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. Enjoy the game. All right, thanks, guys. There he is, pre and post on Fox Sports LV, VGK Insider Show. It's Ryan Wallace here on the Press Box. Well, when we come back, did our Sharp win? <laughs> We'll find out. We'll find out. Do you know? Yes. We don't know if the Sharp won, but if he's with us when he comes back, he won. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. It's time to find the Sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Oh, here he is. Six straight. He's picking the Dodgers. <laughs> he, he's picking the Dodgers. Why wouldn't he? J.R. Sharp won again 12-1. The, the game was over. It's 10-0 after for, uh, the first inning. Told you to go with that. I think they were minus 900 in that game. Uh, but, my friend, six straight. You're working towards the record. What do you want tonight? Okay, tonight. And I'm only going to go with this pick because I've met a guy in the sports bar. He's having Making him some money. So I said, I'm going to try to keep on making you money, man. So okay. I'm going to go with the L.A. Clippers tonight. I'm going to go with the oh. L.A. Clippers money line. 
Okay, money line on the LA Clippers trying to win Game Four and even their series with Utah. Got to win Game Four. They got to win Game Four. Well, if they don't win Game Four, the series is over because they're not coming back from three-one. So, uh, yeah. All right, money line Utah Clippers seven oh five uh, tip, and uh, I think you're taking the money line, but the Clippers are laying five, so I like your chance, especially if Donovan Mitchell's not one hundred percent. I think we'll talk to you tomorrow, Jay. Thanks, brother. All right, see you guys later. Take care. All right, Jay. Man. Jay, very excited. I mean, uh, I they, hey, he's he is making some people some money. Like, oh no, yeah, like. You you give anyone like even if they're picking heavy favorites, six in a row is hard. It's apparently impossible. No, yeah. Like we've only had a, yeah. we've only ever had one guy do well, it. Well, again, thank God Jade in, uh, on Friday didn't say I like the Dodgers, but I like them tomorrow because on Saturday they lost twelve to one. So uh, he Wait, picked the right twelve Ed, to one we night. We will get into that. Yes. Nine forty five. Ask you this: You are a Chiefs fan. This was interesting. Le'Veon Bell. In a series of tweets on Sunday, said he wished he hadn't aired his complaint about Kansas City Chiefs coach Andy Reid on social media. But Bell said, I'm not going back on my words. I'll admit that something I could have said and should have kept myself apologize. I don't regret what I said. Uh, he'd retire before. I'd never play for Andy Reid again, he tweeted. I'd retire first. I'm not about to get into depth on why I feel that way, but I have my own right to feel that way. The only thing I would change is commenting how I really felt on social media. You're a Chiefs guy. I have no idea why he said this. I know he didn't play a ton. He dressed for the Super Bowl, didn't play. I think in the AFC Championship, he played sparingly. And he wasn't getting a ton of time once the playoffs hit. Um, played nine games, started to 254 yards and two touchdowns, rolled diminished, like we said, late in the campaign. Did he just think he should be on the field more, or do you think there's more to this? I, I Look, I have no I idea mean, why he doesn't want to play I for think Andy it's just. I think it's the same thing that uh... – College coaches say, I think Andy Reid falls in love with players, and then once he has them, goes, uh-oh, I got nine running backs. What do I do? Right. And you use the one that, you know, you use the one, the best one for the situation. So he's got that that sort of like maybe he promised him something that he in actuality. Yeah, when he signed him. Yeah, that he was like, oh, you're going to come in, and you're going to do this, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to use you this way, and then right. – the game flow started happening, and it's like, all right, well, what we're actually going to do is have Mahomes chuck the ball 900 times because he can't seem to stay on his feet. Started with the Jets last year before landing in Kansas City. New York, he appeared in two games, 19 carries, 74 yards on the ground, uh, still unsigned. I mean, you know, he's he's not, he's not a spring chicken. He's not young, so... Tell me about, he's not old either, so does this, affect, I, if you're another team, does this affect you at all what he said about Andy Reid? You're like, I don't care what he said about him. If we think he can help, he's coming I on. I think if Andy Reid called him right now and said, well, you have a place for you on the team, he'd go, all right, well, you know, I guess uh, I guess I'm going really? back. I think, I think a lot of these guys say that, but a lot of these running backs also will. Oh, they need jobs. Yeah, they a lot need of them. jobs. And so I'm sorry, like if, if. Like, Frank Gore right now is waiting until training camp to sign with someone because so he knows someone's going to get hurt. Which, by the way, he will. Because yes, it's Frank and Gore, and if he doesn't play this year, you can't have football because he's played for 67 straight years. I think that's like a preamor of the NFL. Unless Frank Gore's playing, we can't have a league. So expect him to sign shortly. Back with Jameis Walsh.